my hope is that most people don't have to experience this to get in touch with the importance of asking for help and get in touch with the importance of of saying, I am the most important person. Of course, I have heard of a chief of staff, but in the professional context. You're the bouncer. I was the bouncer, yep. Nice. It's okay, I'm good with that. (laughs) People have so many gifts and they love to use their gifts for the benefit of other people. So allow them the space to do that. Hey, this is Grand Exit. Conversations starting conversations about living, dying, and living on. We're sharing real talk on the life-death legacy continuum now, so we don't wait to the end to talk about what matters most. Enter here if you intend to be remembered. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Grand Exit, the podcast. You're here with Tamitha and Chelsea for a deep-diving conversation with our guest, my dear friend, Aaron Lander. With 25 years of experience, Erin's a corporate culture consultant. She's the founder of Good Culture Works, which shines a light on the most important element of professional success. Take great care of your people and your business will flourish. Before that, she was Tamitha's chief of staff. In my first round of treatment at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, I appointed three chiefs of staff to take on leadership of the parts of my life that I just couldn't. Erin was one of them. In this episode with Erin, we're talking about the concept, what is a chief of staff? And delegating like life depends on it. Chelsea, let's dive in. So I'm so excited about this conversation today about chiefs of staff. And most people are like, what? What does that mean? But I am so excited that one of my chiefs of staff is joining us all the way from uh, her home in Ohio, Erin Lander. Hi, Erin. Hi, so happy to be here with both of you. We're so happy to have you. Yes. Not long after I was diagnosed, I heard from a friend of mine, Colleen Ovalman, who um, told me, hey, if you don't want to get 20 lasagnas at your door at a time, I really recommend this idea called a chief of staff. And that came from Colleen's own experience of her son dying tragically in an accident. And... Um, after Eli dying, Colleen definitely ending up with lots of lasagna and casseroles at her doorstep. And so I I want to start by honoring Colleen's experience because it was from her experience that I was able to make it through treatment with three of the best chiefs of staff, one of whom is here with us today, without some of the emotional and and logistical burden that I know Colleen experienced. Prior to Tamitha sharing this experience with me, of course, I have heard of a chief of staff, but in the professional context. So knowing that that position within a company runs point on all people, so many logistics are routed through that person and they're really the action-oriented person for sometimes talking heads, sometimes really busy executives, Whatever the situation is, you don't usually hire a chief of staff when stuff's chill. So, <laughs> so that was my experience, so true. right? Like you don't need a chief of staff until things are really busy and you need someone to help ruthlessly prioritize what's on your plate or mm. your company's plate. So this experience with chief of staff was certainly a new context for me. Uh, and I think it's brilliant. Did you know, Tamitha, 
why three chiefs of staff? Knowing you needed more than one is one thing. Why three and why these three? For me, it was that I know that each of the women who I knew I, I wanted to serve as a chief of staff, they all have big lives that they're also trying to do, right? And so um, it's one thing to ask for help, but then it's another thing, and it's more within my personality, to ask for help and try as best I can to make sure that that request of your time and energy and wisdom fits within what you're able to physically and emotionally give. And so that was, that was really why I needed three. She wanted it to be as least inconvenient as possible, even sure, at this point did. where all of us were fully ready to be as inconvenienced as we could to make her life comfortable. <laughs> Thank you, Erin. I wanted to ask Erin because she is a coach at heart, right? Her core being is a coach, which means that she comes to every experience and interaction, I feel like, led by heart, but also wanting you to find in yourself what you need to get to move through to, like, make things better. And I knew I needed that energy around me. I needed a coaching spirit. I didn't need someone to fix. I needed a coach. So Phoebe, I chose. Phoebe is my longest running friendship in Vermont. Our daughters are best friends. And um, so for me, Phoebe would understand the parenting side of this. And then Laura Perrette was a friend who uh, Laura and I served for years on the Revitalizing Waterbury Board of Directors. But Laura is a Jersey girl. She is going to tell it like it is. We hear all of the Jersey girls listening to this yelling back. (laughs) Jersey! We hear you. Yeah, we hear you and we love you. And we see you. Um, I knew there were going to be people in my life who needed to be told what the deal was. And Laura can do that and could do that. And also, Laura is, if nothing else, like a logistical mastermind. Like, she keeps the spreadsheet. Everyone sort of knew different groups of people. Erin, do you have a similar understanding? It was, yeah, I think it was that. I think it was it was nice because we we covered all the bases, and it would have been very difficult for any one of us to do all of that. Uh, either when you think about the groups of people, where you think about the functions that needed to be addressed, when you think about the different kinds of support that you needed, Tamitha, at different times, you could pick up the phone or text over to the right person to get what you needed rather than one person feeling like they had to be everything. As someone who seems to be continuously accumulating more responsibility, as I think many do throughout a life, delegation Mm -hmm. is a theme that comes up frequently prioritization, delegation, how we communicate what we need to others, because sometimes too much of a good thing is not great. Um, And also people generally need guidance and um, someone to tell them what is needed so that we don't all go in one direction, all in the other. So uh, in general, I think the concept is brilliant. I'm curious though, how Erin, you remember being introduced to that concept from Tamitha? how Tamitha mm-hmm. asked you to be one of hers. 
Sure. Well, thanks. Yeah. I think what you said about the ruthless prioritization is spot on. (laughs) And when Tamitha introduced this idea to me, uh, knowing that there were a lot of things coming ahead of her in terms of her own health, her family navigating this, navigating the very deep well of people in our community who were concerned and wanting to do things to help out. Um, it was, it, it was difficult, I think, for Tamitha, honestly, to ask for the help. You know anything about Tamitha, she is often the person who serves as someone else's chief of staff, whether they know they need one or not. Yeah, that <laughs> she, would be true. <laughs> yes. Uh, she was uh, serving in several community-oriented roles, uh, very connected with her daughter and the school, uh, deep friendships, and uh, as she mentioned, Colleen and others who had gone through significant struggles and Oftentimes, Tamitha was the person that everyone else looked to, to direct what was happening uh, for all the other venues of support. So when this came up, uh, Tamitha was very humbled. And I remember this being a very emotional conversation uh, where she said that she could not do everything and she needed some folks to help step up. It was a difficult conversation, but honestly, one of the biggest honors that I have had to to date in my life to be chosen as somebody's right hand during this kind of a situation. What's your origin story? Prior to this invitation, mm-hmm. how did the two of you know one another? And Erin, did you know the other two who sat on the board with you? So Tamitha and I met in town meeting in Duxbury, Vermont. Uh, We were both residents of Duxbury, which has, what, 1,500 voters or something? And it's a very, very, very small small town. And we each were elected to the select board, which is basically the city council, except Duxbury isn't a city. It's a very small (laughs) town. Uh, So town council or select board. And we're serving there together together. And each of us during the town meeting had stood up and given passionate comments about why we thought we could each individually help move the town forward. And I remember seeing her, I had never met her before, seeing her stand up and speak. And I was in in such awe of this woman with this poise and presence and confidence and ready to make positive change. And I thought to myself, oh, if she's going to be on this board, I want to be on this board. Like, I want to work with this woman. That was our origin story. We both were elected and served on the select board together. And what year was that? March of 2017. So a year or so prior to your diagnosis, beginning of treatment and asking Erin to be be one of your Yes. And I think our friendship was uh, built definitely in our shared purpose of wanting to make positive change. I mean, everything that Aaron just said about me, I would, I would, I'm rubber in your glue. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think to the, the tone of meetings, you know, we, and quite honestly, what it means to have strong women on a select board in a small town, um, Right, because that year we had three of the five members were female identifying. And that was, I believe, the first time that had happened. Wait, did you guys do it? Did you take over the town? We made some great significant change. <laughs> we really did. Like, I we think made we did, yes. Significant change. But honestly, um, Tamitha's diagnosis 
And then my, I had some shifts in what I was doing in my work. And so Tamith ended up stepping down from the select board and I ended up stepping down shortly thereafter as well. But we needed to focus our energies on other things and specifically on Tamitha's health and her family. It really was the first time in my life that I said I can't be there for things I had said I would do. I mean, I was stepping down. At that point, I was chair of the select board and I was, I was not going to finish my term. And that was uh, hard and yet also easy at the same time. Talk to me about the job description. What did you know that the role entailed? And how many hours a week did you describe it? And Erin, what was your understanding of the role as a corporate culture consultant and someone Mm -hmm. who even prior to that, has a deep, has always had a deep passion um, for how things work and how to make them work better and how people can power those things, make them work better. Um, how did, what were your questions? What did you want to know so that you could set yourself up for success when Tamitha offered you whatever this job was going to be? So I, I knew when I was thinking about a chief of staff, I knew that I, one, needed help uh, managing outsiders, like outside of my family. Like I needed help with the community because not only did we have our town of Duxbury, but the next town over is Waterbury. And that's where I had lived for the majority of my time in Vermont. So we had, you know, quite a lot of people who I knew, um, would be showing up, um, on the porch, uh, wanting to check in. Um, a lot of people who had a lot of interest in, are we going to donate money? You know, what are, what are they going to do? How are we going to help? I, I just needed help sort of managing that piece. Um, I knew I also needed help uh, with Harper, um, getting her places. I needed help getting places. I received my treatment at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston because uh, my cancer was so rare um, that I, I went to a, a an oncologist in Boston who had, had been running an inflammatory breast cancer center for 20-some years. So I needed a lot of help logistically. So there was the logistics piece. There was the managing the communications piece with um, the community and, and the, the needing to gather. And then, let's be honest, we needed help with food. <laughs> so, um, you know, managing uh, who brought what and when because, like you, Chelsea, I hate waste. And so I didn't want to end up with a ton of that wouldn't be eaten. And then I, I needed support. I just needed friends. Like I needed my closest people who, and Aaron especially serving in this role, who understood what this disease taking me down felt like to me professionally, personally, and being so beautifully willing to just sit with that with me. Like I, I didn't need solvers for that problem. I just needed people to be able to support me in that. And, and, and your question about how many hours a week, I had no idea, which I'm like the worst boss apparently, because I have no idea how many hours it's going to take you to do. Just It was I a new role, so it. we weren't sure. That's right. Expectations <laughs> they, were unclear. That's right. They actually okay. got to define the position. Right. One of the traits will be adaptability and flexibility. Yes. yes. <laughs> Amazing opportunity for you to define the role for those who come that's next. Right. That's right. Lots of autonomy. Until mm-hmm. none. Until there's right. none.
to us about team and division of labor here. So it was an interesting balance because it was Phoebe, Laura, and myself. So Phoebe is a PA, a physician's assistant. And so she brought a deep knowledge of the the medicine, the actual uh, experience that Tamitha would be going through and being able to help um, understand direction that she was receiving from doctors or nurses uh, or anybody on her medical staff. So we really left Phoebe in charge of and finding out any information that was necessary regarding the actual treatments and prognosis and, and anything that needed support in that way. Laura and I were a little more focused on the community and the people. I felt like my role was understanding everything that needed to happen and making sure somebody was on top of everything. And then also some people wanted to donate money. And it was made very clear by Tamitha and John that that didn't feel comfortable to them. But donating toward Dana-Farber was great Like we, we, to be able to do some fundraising for them. Um, to buy gas cards was helpful and, and something that we encouraged people to do who wanted to contribute money because they were driving three hours each way for treatment and then staying in a hotel generally one or two nights while they were there. So there were ways to contribute that um, so people could do food, people could do uh, carpooling with Harper to shuttle her to different places. People could contribute financially if they wanted to in those specific ways. Uh, some folks asked if they could come clean the house. And that was one where Tamitha was like, no, she was very specific about how she wanted her house clean. She didn't really want anybody else in the house, you know, upending things that are personal. And, and it really wasn't until um, further into her treatment where we finally came to the realization that, you know, energy needed to be spent. There's only so much energy and you had to spend it in ways that were going to be helpful for her health. So we were able to do a bunch of research and find a professional cleaner to come in and do that. But that, those are the kind of things that some people might have felt perfectly comfortable having someone come over and do the cleaning and, and others wouldn't. So a lot of it was just questioning and testing with Tamitha, what feels good, what doesn't, and then where can we push and how does this evolve over time? Because what was needed six months in was very different than what was needed one weekend. Um, so that shifted and it was just tracking that and helping to communicate that with everybody. What about emotionally? I know doing can be healing for some, but for others it's numbing. How did, how did the doing of all of it work for you? And what did, what did you need or how did you find and tap into what you needed within yourself experiencing this as the right hand, one of the right hand women or someone who was experiencing something really difficult who you love? One of the things that I had learned about, which I can't remember where I heard this from, but shared quickly with Tamitha was this idea of um, who's at the center of the circle and which is. It's Tamitha in this case. She's the core of the always, circle. Always, always. <laughs> oh, well, right. I mean, really, in any case. Let's, okay, let's Harper's mom. Like <laughs> Sometime Harper tries to edge in there, but no. <laughs> so, so Tamitha is the center of the circle. And then the next ring out in the circle are John and Harper. And then the next ring out are Tamitha's parents and very closest people. And then it kind of, those rings spread further and further. 
And what we talked about as a group was you don't ask for things inward of the circle. You don't ask for time. You don't ask for energy. You don't ask for comfort inward toward the circle. You can ask for that outward. So, you know, normally if I would have been going through something traumatic where one of my closest friends was facing a life-threatening disease, Tamitha would have been the person I would have gone to, to be like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm breaking down about this. Like, what do I do here? And in, but I, I, I couldn't do that. And I didn't want to put that on her. So it was really helpful that Laura and Phoebe and I all had each other in that same kind of rung of the circles to lean on in that way. And we became very close, very, very quickly, even though we hadn't known each other really at all before that. Um, so understanding that and sharing that with Tamitha and her family and sharing that with the other people who were at different levels of the circles of like, no, you can't ask Tamitha how she's doing. Just go read what's on Caring Bridge or here, I'll tell you what I know. And then you can go to share with these people. That was very helpful for me in terms of making sure that I was getting support and getting support from the right places uh, and not taxing people who already were closer to the situation. One of the things that happened, not immediately, but within a few weeks, I think of the diagnosis is Tamitha said to myself and the other chiefs of staff that she was her only concern, that the only energy that Tamitha had was to focus on her own health and getting herself through this. And to me, that was her way of saying, I need you all here for Harper and John because I want to be, and I cannot. And I think of everything that happened, you know, all the things that were scary or, um, you know, emotional, that to me, that was the one where I realized, okay, this is serious and this is big. And Tamitha, I don't think ever in her life has said anything like that or had thoughts in that way. So she knows how big this is. And, um, and that was, it felt again, like a blessing to be in the group of people who were trusted to care for her most loved people. You bet. Yeah, no, I've never, even hearing it, like a sort of jarring that I would ever say something like that. Um, but I do remember that too. I remember needing to, and having to say that. I was well, fighting and, for my life. So. And the way you said it was so, it wasn't filled with guilt. It wasn't filled with shame. It was very realistic and very, just matter of fact, this is how this has to go. Like if I'm going to get through this, this is the way to do it. And it was, it was so empowering. And I hope it felt empowering to you to be able to put that out there and claim your own power for yourself and that energy for yourself that you needed, because that's what it felt like to me that you were doing. Thank you, Erin. I, I did feel that way. Um, I still do feel that way. It was the right decision. I don't know that Harper, what Harper saw of me, um, after my diagnosis is not the mother who raised her up into that point. It was jarring for her to all of a sudden have a, a mom who, um, quite frankly, didn't drop everything to like do something for her. And, um, 
I think there's a lesson there we don't have to unpack on this episode, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but I think there's a parenting lesson there. There's certainly, that was certainly a parenting lesson for me. Um, but I, I just, I hope that one day Harper looks back on this whole experience and sees my empowerment about it, about that decision to just worry about me. I, I hope that she lives her life that way. What was the process between knowing you had in your back pocket the concept of chief of staff that Colleen had shared with you and then getting to the place of empowerment and dire necessity to use it? What were your, what, what did it sound like in your head in that, you know, in that delta? I don't necessarily think it was a process. I think it was really, I felt like shit. Physically, I just couldn't get out of bed. And, you know, I was being poked and prodded and scanned. And, you know, I have a, a, as you've said, a rare and aggressive form of breast cancer that accounts for like 3% of all breast cancers. So, and I'm in public health. So I had read the data about, you know, progression and about mortality rates and all of that. So it was a pretty, I don't know that it was a long process or something I really had to like work through. And unfortunately, it took this to get me to this point, right? Like my hope is that most people don't have to experience this to get in touch with the importance of asking for help and get in touch with the importance of of saying, I am the most important person. (laughs) You know, it's that air mask or whatever, the oxygen mask on the airplane, right? Like I have to be well for other people to be well. So I, it was really, I just, I felt like shit. I knew this was really scary. And if I was going to make it, whatever that looked like, I, I needed to just worry about myself. How did it evolve over time? And what was the duration of the role, I guess? Has the role stopped? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm still getting my stipend. No, I'm, just I'm a consultant now. So it works. It's perfect. I'm as needed. I'm on retainer as needed. Um, The duration of the role was, so the diagnosis was in November of 2018 and was it summer of 2019 that you moved to California. So it was really throughout that time. uh, So eight, eight months or so, seven, eight months. um, And the way that it shifted, the biggest shift was people got, people at first were extremely scared. And by people, I mean, all of us. I mean, Tamitha, John, and Harper, like we didn't know what we were looking at in terms of time frame and severity and, you know, exactly what the treatment was going to look like. It took a little time to get all of that figured out. So there was a lot of fear at the beginning. And that was something to manage both across the team, across the family and throughout the community. And then I think over time, there were some of the folks in the community who jumped right in at the beginning because they wanted to help and be involved in the care. And then as life goes on over months, you know, that some of that interest and some of that time that people had available needed to be reallocated to other things. So there was always a good core. We never ran short of people that could help or wanted to help or do things. Um, But it was, 
it was the consistent communication, I think, from Tamitha and her family and from the three of us as the chiefs of staff that kept people informed about ongoing needs, what was changing, whether it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of shuttling of, of uh, Harper to different places, making sure that she could get to dance competitions or school events or even to and from school on the days where, where Tamitha and John needed to be in Boston. I have a question about John and Harper, your family. Just because you prioritized you that day doesn't mean your teenage daughter is on the exact same page in that moment that day, right? Um, And calling in help and delegating looked a lot like, you know, an invitation to the community to take care of what you had previously been taking care of, right? So how did you find that balance of what you were delegating and finding a right match for how it was done for your family? How did you find the, how did you know where to write what I imagine to be pretty fine lines? You know, John and Harper just wanted me back and definitely didn't like the limelight of this disease, um, especially in a a small town. Um, You know, Harper was really shepherded from house to house to house to house when it used to be that other kids were the ones shepherding to our house. All of a sudden, Harper was having to um, spend a couple nights each week because we went to Boston every week for 16 weeks. Um, for a few nights a week, Harper was with a different family. And, um, and at first, I was using my friends to watch her. So I have the people who I think of as the, the mothers. <laughs> um, and so I would enlist their help in watching Harper. And it wasn't until probably a month or so, maybe even a month and a half, two months in, that I asked Harper, who do you want to stay with? And that was wrong. Um, I should have asked her all along, who do you want to stay with? It was all, you know, she was experiencing this at the same time as I was, just differently. And so I was using my, you know, my toolbox of friends for support, not only to support me, but also to support John and Harper in ways that felt good to me. And I needed to be asking them better questions and more questions about the kind of support they needed to show up for them. Um, And, you know, I'm very gregarious and like big in my emotions and big in my um, physicality around like my, you know, seeing someone and like hugging or, um, and so many times that's how I'm greeted, right? And do not greet Harper with a gregarious hug. (laughs) Do not meet John with a, hey, how, you know, don't come at them like that. So it was like, you (laughs) could not find two different, you know, I see John and Harper on one side of one end of the spectrum and myself on the other. I wish I would have done a better job on, on some of that. And Aaron, I think many times was called on to sort of hold people back uh, from Harper, hold people back from John. Because the bouncer, yeah, it was the bouncer. Yep, nice. Okay, I'm good with that. (laughs) But I will say what this has taught me is that, um, and taught the three of us 
is that once I do die, um, the don't expect the memorial service to happen for a couple of months because um, they're going to need some quiet time. And I have made it very clear um, to the both of them um, that there is no time. I don't care when you do it. I really don't. I need it to be okay for you. Do you have chiefs of staff for that chapter? Mm. Well, I will say, you know, you asked Aaron earlier when uh, the role was done. The role was done, I think, when we moved out here. Treatment, um, treatment continued for a while after we arrived in California. I was just on an oral chemo. So although the side effects were horrendous, the, the treatment was easy in terms of logistics. But then when I was diagnosed metastatic, I did not go straight to the need for a chief of staff or chiefs of staff. And this is why, um, and this is how I think about it, that I'm metastatic. I'm going to have cancer until I don't live anymore. And I need to figure it out. I need to figure out what life looks like for us um, now that this is our reality. It, it's not, it doesn't have, a, there's not a time frame on it like they did the last time. Um, or the first go around. And so what that means is, am I volunteering anywhere these days? No. Am I? That's not true. Am I volunteering? Yeah, Breast Cancer Action. Oh, that's right. I am on a board of directors. (laughs) Well, I'm not volunteering as much. Okay, I'm not volunteering as much. Okay. I'm only, uh, okay, yes, I'm not volunteering (laughs) as much. Um, I think you have a leadership position there. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Okay, I accept what you're saying. I I just, I I think I needed to set the record straight. That's so funny. (laughs) I thought I was doing so well. You're Um, doing great. But also you are volunteering. (laughs) Right. And you know. I don't, um, the house is not as clean as I used to keep it. You know, I'm, I'm really pulled, I've really pulled back and sort of, so that the things that I am doing, the places I am putting my energy um, are you know, really where I want to be putting them. But I, it was really important to me to figure this out. Um, so although I will say people do know we're moving back home to Vermont. And I just got a, an email recently from a woman who owns um, Hannon Home Store, which is the hardware store Rounded. in town. And hey, Rhonda. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Rhonda. And Rhonda was like, let me know, send me an email as soon as you're in town so I can send dinner over. Oh, that is the magic of that town, I'm telling you. I think there's something too to the the timing of when you moved to California, which was summer of 18. No, 19. 19. Summer mm-hmm. of 2019, mm-hmm. you moved to California mm-hmm. and things were busy, and then it was COVID. There is something about that time frame that really allowed your family to spend a lot of time together, mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. uh, during that time, which I think made the role of chief of staff less necessary. Yes. So you were, your life changed so much during that time frame. It'll be interesting to see as you transition back to very community-heavy <laughs> Vermont, if you feel like that will shift. I'm, I might be calling you. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm mobile. I can come. <laughs> you can work from anywhere. That's I good because that was a job requirement. The job That's never perfect. ends. I'm in. Remote work accepted. 
learn as a success-minded person, a results-oriented person, goal-oriented person, maybe even more than results-oriented, goal-oriented person, what did success look like for you? Honestly, for me, success looked like Tamitha not having to worry about any of this stuff at all, right? Like being able to take any sense of worry, concern, any ounce of energy that she was spending trying to figure things out that were any step outside of her own health. I wanted that off of her mind. Um, So that's what success looked like for me. Like I wanted to be proactive enough so that she would know here are the things that are being taken care of. Okay, tell me what this week is looking like. We'll make sure that those things get set up and that she just didn't have to worry about it at all. Um, so I didn't ever want her to have to ask how things were going or what the status was of anything. Uh, so it was a lot of proactive communication and a lot of just checking in and inquiry um, to find out and make sure what were the most important priorities. I think that was a Amazing. I think you were successful. I think you were successful. <laughs> Erin, what did you learn about yourself in this role? I have wondered many times if Tamitha had ended up having her treatment closer to home, if she would have waited a lot longer, if ever, asked for the kind of help that she needed when treatment was three hours away each way. Uh, And I, I think my gut says she probably would have waited a little while longer and tried to do some things herself first. And knowing that people go through this, um, both the the individual who is the the patient, you know, the individual who is dealing with this and their close family members feeling like they don't want to be a burden or they don't want to inconvenience anybody or show that vulnerability that actually maybe some help would be in their best interest. I hope that people can set that aside. And that was certainly something that I learned and has come in handy (laughs) as changes have happened in my life too, of being open with what the situation is and recognizing people have so many gifts and they love to use their gifts for the benefit of other people. So allow them the space to do that. You know, I think about what the role will look like after. It's not my favorite thing to think about, but it's an important thing to think about. And I mean, Tamitha and I have certainly had conversations, not even deep conversations, but small comments, I would say, here and there about what would that look like? You know, um, the thing is uh, something that we talked about recently is as things are getting packed up and donated and adjusted and moved around as they prepare to move across country again. And some of the sentimental things that, that Tamitha has that don't really have a spot in her new place. And so... No, I said, I will hold on to these things and then offer them to Harper if she wants them down the road. You know, and so there are pieces of this chief of staff type of role, I think, that are just built into the friendship of who we are. It's not, I don't really think about it as part of the chief of staff, but the way that myself and Laura and Phoebe care for Tamitha is also the way that we care for her, her family, her, her people. Um, so we'll always, I'll always be there for their support and love and even though I also do like to greet with a gregarious hug, <laughs> um, I uh, I will do that in a way that that feels good and supportive to them because it's important to me that they know how well she loved them, even when it maybe felt like she needed to focus on herself. She loved them so well that she chose the three of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. You're the best. <laughs>
She is. <laughs> She's well, I'm one of the three best, best we'll say. <laughs> Before we go, what do you want to be sure listeners remember and know about you? I think what I want listeners to remember and know about me is this opportunity that I had to do this work as chief of staff. It doesn't take a special skill to do it. I happen to have some skills that I brought to this group of women of chiefs of staff that were helpful, but any gift that you have can be helpful to someone who's in need. So whether you're the person who's asking for help or whether you're a person who has a gift that you can offer, and I hope that everyone is brave enough to ask and offer. Thank you. Thanks, Erin. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Grand Exit. If you're enjoying exploring the life-death-legacy continuum, come back to keep diving in with us here. Subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Instagram. We're grand.exit. And sign up for our newsletter at grandexit.com slash newsletter. And most importantly, share. Please do share this by starting a conversation about life, death, and legacy with someone who matters to you. There's so much waiting for you there. Join us every other Thursday as we bring death to life for those who intend to be remembered. Catch you next time.